you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Hey there, it's David from Queer Money. This week on Queer Money, we're going to help you. You know, we know that many of you are LGBT entrepreneurs. And the reason we know that is because you ask questions and participate in our Queer Money Facebook group. And just like we did on episode 55, where we featured LGBT entrepreneur to help you grow your business, this week we're focusing on the need to grow your business through social media. And who better to do that than Pink Banana? Matt from Pink Banana is going to share with us some of the tactics he used to not only grow his business, but now how he's helping other LGBT entrepreneurs grow their business and helping other businesses reach the LGBT audience. So let's get on with the show and check out what Matt can do to help you grow and thrive. As many of you know, we want you to thrive financially as well. And one of the ways that you can do that is by having a financial plan. So we encourage you to check out massmutual.com and find a financial advisor who will understand your specific needs and help you create a financial plan that will last. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. David and I are excited to be hosting the CEO and founder of Pink Banana Media, Matt Skellerud. Welcome, Matt. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. One of mine and David's main platforms with our message of becoming debt-free, being fiscally responsible and all that, is we think that we need more leaders in the LGBT community, ideally in private business and ideally more entrepreneurs. And that's why we're excited to have Matt on our show today because he is helping LGBT businesses make the most of their business, especially in the online area, to maximize, hopefully, profits and have more customers. And uh, Matt's going to talk to us about the ins and outs of LGBT businesses today and how Pink Banana Media is serving our community. Yeah. So, Matt, do you mind giving us a bit of a background on who you are and Pink Banana Media? Yeah, well, I just where we got today is from what we started with. It was back in 95. Started a gay and lesbian website called GayWire.com, and it took off. And we thought everybody would do it, but it turned out that wasn't the case. And we became alongside kind of Gay.com and Planet Out. There was the three of us, and we used to we kind of grew up with the internet back in those late 90s. And we all, three, of us, three of us got featured in Wall Street Journal, and it was like in their big old marketplace section, and it was very exciting days. We just continued to grow with that. But I sold. We had a network of sites: Gay Wired, She Wired, GaySports.com, and so forth. And we sold all that to Hear Media back in uh, 2006. And so they subsequently ended up buying everything else. They bought Gay.com, Planet Out, Advocate, and Out. So I moved on and simply started. I just wanted to kind of continue to do what I had been doing before, but without being constrained with our own website. Pink Banana Media sort of became this company that still helped companies target, figure out how to reach the LGBT community online. But we were able to work with a variety of different websites. And then, of course, now when social media just started to enter with MySpace at that time and now Facebook, we just sort of grew up with that. And so where we're at today is that we just simply work with companies to try to figure out, you know, who are they trying to reach? And then our job is to figure out where they're at and also help them actually reach them and, and get there. So that's what we've been doing up until now. Wow, so you kind of like rode that internet social media wave. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. I actually look at the analogy uh, symbolically, kind of like a you know, like a wave. And if we were out on Hawaii, on a big beach, it would be a series of waves because you know, like the first wave kind of came and went. And two thousand six, two thousand seven, things started to fade out in terms of just banner ads and email by itself. But 
the second wave came along with social media, we actually believe today that, that there's like kind of this third wave coming along when it comes to, especially what you see, oddly enough, with Twitter and so forth in terms of that engagement that's just starting to really emerge. Sure. Can you expand on what that third wave looks like to you or what you predict that will be? That's what's funny. Some people look at me cross-eyed and think that, uh, <laughs> especially when you say Twitter, they're like, what? I don't get Twitter. I, you know, I, I'm not interested in finding out when my next door neighbor is going to lunch and stuff. And I was <laughs> like, well, I totally get that. I love to do presentations. And when I do presentations, I show companies in the audience, I show them exactly how to, you know, what the advantages are to the technology, how to go back home and do it themselves. So we really try to enable and empower companies to do this. So I say that because we show them all the, all the strength there. Some of them are starting to get it. I guess the biggest analogy I look at is that Facebook has been great to get us where we're at today, but it's really like that small village or Main Street USA. The maximum size it could ever, ever be is 5,000. That's just, you know, and one could say that's a lot of people, but 5,000 is as many as you could really be connected to on Facebook. And Facebook has really changed their newsfeed. So it really focuses on what your friends are doing, what's kind of going on amongst people on a personal level. When it comes to business, your things just really don't get seen unless you uh, pay for it. But if you do pay for it, they have great tools for that. So my analogy or the way I've tried to explain it is that Twitter's like the big city. Twitter is where, you know, at first a lot of people look at it and go, God, it's noisy. It's loud. I don't get it. It's uh, There's a lot of people screaming and shouting and so forth. So it is kind of like going from a small town into moving to New York City. Not everyone, but when people move into the city, after a little while, you start to make friends and you start sorting out, you know, what's what. And most people make their way, but it's different. And that's really where Twitter, it's infinitely scalable. You can be connected to a million people and they could be connected to you. And not just connected, but they can be engaging. Of course, none of us are really going to be connected to a whole million, but that's really where we see this third wave is that Facebook sort of, I think in history is going to be looked at as kind of paving the way for most people to be comfortable with social media. I mean, our grandparents jump on it because they really want to see the grandkids growing up. So they're, they're comfortable with that. But there is a next wave of things that are ha that is happening and it's happening really right in front of us. And we can see it with a large, there's a wide variety of examples I can, you know, that I can get into in terms of really trying to kind of show or prove the case that there's a lot going on out there that a lot of people are just unaware of so far. Yeah. Being in the internet space, David and I have you know, been doing this for about four years now. We have seen quite an evolution on social media and our business for Debt for Guys and for Queer Money, we seem to have connected better with clients and listeners and readers on Facebook but our B2B relationships have been more easily established through Twitter. And yeah. those B2B relationships have then connected us with, with more individuals and people that we can actually serve. It's a very interesting dynamic. And we were listening to a podcast, I think it was Social Media Marketing World, where the guy was saying, people keep talking about how Twitter doesn't really know where it's going. It's having trouble monetizing its platform. You know, we don't know whether it'll be around or not. But you can't watch a news segment without seeing this politician or this celebrity posted this particular tweet. So yeah. it's still in the consciousness. They just haven't figured out how to, I guess, to maximize that. And if they can, I guess, crack that nut, that all of us who are on Twitter will benefit from that. We really will. It's because a lot of companies, whether politicians or businesses, there's a big difference between speaking to people where you just sort of push out the headlines and throw out news clips, but it's only, you know, you're only trying to drive traffic to, let's just say your website or your brand, as opposed to speaking with people. And if you look at what influencers are doing on Twitter or what the majority of every LGBT business and association and organization in the UK, which is strange, it's just for some reason, the UK has really leaped ahead when it comes to using Twitter. They don't speak to people, they speak with them. And 
they speak with each other and they share and retweet appropriate things. And it's amazing the level of engaged interactivity you see in some of those communities. You're starting to see that more and more in the United States and other places as well. Interesting. Let's touch on that. Why is it that you focus on the LGBT community? We didn't want to be all things to all people. We started in 95. It was a LGBT business. It was started out as just a gay website. Then we created a women's only version really quickly because we started to figure out what was working. But we really wanted to be the best. We didn't just want to be one of a number. LGBT became the area that we decided we just wanted to really focus on and be the best at. And that makes a lot of sense. David and I, when we first started Debt Free Guys, we were trying to speak to everybody. And we went to a finance conference and realized that there were all these different niches within our space. There were people who were talking to couponers and military spouses, and you had your your frugal families and stuff like that. And we realized that nobody was speaking to the LGBT community. So we yeah. thought, well, we'll focus on on the LGBT community since we're obviously gay. And we understand that story. Gay. And a little bit. <laughs> That has made all the difference. It's been a struggle. It's not been easy, but it has made all the difference. And we've distinguished ourselves from our peers because we're focusing on our particular market, and that's helped grow our business exponentially. Oh, yeah. That's what makes it so that whenever I'm out and I'm talking to any companies in the finance world, it's wonderful and refreshing that your name and your business come up in those conversations because you've stayed focused on that and you've made a difference that, that really jumps out at them as well. Yeah, exactly. That's nice to hear. I'm glad glad that that's happening. (laughs) Hey, they're just taking a break for a second to remind you that there are companies out there that want to see our community thrive and grow. And one of those companies provides financial advice and services that will help us set ourselves up for the best life that we can have. That's Mass Mutual. So check out Mass Mutual at MassMutual.com. Let's get back to the show. The first time we met Matt face-to-face, we were at a um, a symposium that was being put on by a large financial services firm. We were speaking and Matt came out and it was nice to meet you face-to-face there in New York City or New Jersey. New Jersey, yeah. That's kind of like, even though your business and what we do is so tied to the technology and internet and all these wonderful tools, but I love going old school once in a while, more often than not really, and going to conferences and going to presentations like what you guys have gone to because it's a great way to be able to connect and it allowed us to be able to finally get to know each other. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And so one of the interesting evolutions and struggles that David and I have had, and, and I'm curious if you've had the same experience, is finding out exactly where gay people are online. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. When we talk to our friends, you know, aside from like Scruff and Grinder, <laughs> they seem to be quite elusive. And we have, like I said, had better connections with people on Facebook. But I'm curious what your experience is. Yeah, well, they're they're out there. They're in all the platforms. And of course, the question then just becomes, just because they're out there, would they be interested in your business based on you know where they're at? And I say that because because we never really even talk about Instagram, which is also a place that a lot of people are at nowadays. It's the hot ticket when anytime you talk about influencers, but it's very photo centric and people are high on, on Instagram right now. I like it, but I always find that is also one of those things that if you're a business that's a destination or or something that's very visual, even wedding companies, they can do very well when they're putting their product out there. It's very visual. People can kind of peruse it at their own leisure. But when it comes to businesses such as yours or ours, advertising, marketing, or finance, just because they're out there doesn't mean that they're going to be that easy to find or really speak to or or get them interested in what we're doing. And so the trick is, I think, where are those people that are specific to what we're all doing for us? It's where are the businesses and where are they that are thinking about reaching the market? So we'll focus a lot on LinkedIn. We've been very consistent on LinkedIn and Twitter, and those are actually, for us, our top places that we find all aspects of new business and potential customers and so forth. 
for you guys, it would be very, very similar. It's like, and I said Instagram because Instagram probably jumps out and makes you feel like, wow, I could do some great things to get the word out through messaging. But I always would question and say, well, but is that what they're interested in when they're on Instagram? And for you guys, LinkedIn would probably also be be a very strong contender, but especially more on your business to business side of your life. And then reaching kind of consumers that are interested in finance, I would probably say that they're between Facebook groups and Twitter and a few of these other places. It would just be a matter of really drilling down, trying to figure out where their attention span is at. And then what can you do to get in front of them without being a little, you know, without knocking them over the head, driving them crazy. What companies does Pink Banana predominantly work with? Yeah. It's a wide range. I mean, I, I was thinking of that just earlier today because uh, the last one we worked with, which was crazy, was Bud Light. And Bud Light found us through our I Love Gay Network that we have on Twitter. And they just basically had a, a pride video message that they wanted us to get out. And you're going to laugh, but their entry point to find us was through Facebook Messenger. <laughs> and so oh, really? they Facebook messaged me <laughs> on a Saturday and said, we're from Bud Light and we have this video. And can you get this out to your audience ASAP? And then they wanted to work with our influencers. So it was such a quick turnaround. We just said, go ahead and talk to them all directly. And they did. So there was a whole Bud Light and video and social media outreach. And right before that, we worked with Comcast on something similar during San Francisco Pride. And then we worked with Laguna Beach as a destination and brought some influencers down there and kind of tied that in with Orange County Pride. So a lot of our work lately has been companies that are trying to leverage influencers and trying to leverage a lot of the social media networks that are out there. And so in years past, it's been a very similar mix, just not always focused on social and influencers. Right. But I think that's interesting and speaks to why we need more entrepreneurs within our community, whether or not your niche is going to be LGBT or something else. Businesses, I think, have learned that traditional style of marketing through TV ads and radio ads and whatnot don't have the same ROI that they used to have. So now they're trying to connect with influencers in, in various niches to have those influencers connect them to a particular market. They are, but everybody's in a heavy learning curve right now. And so they're all trying to figure out what the best solutions and models are going to be. So, which is actually what makes this time so exciting because there's a huge learning curve going on and there's a lot of testing. But at the end of the day, everything you read is that it's really, as of this moment, Facebook and Google are the top two places that companies are going to for advertising. They beat out everything. And it's because up to this point right now, it's all about targeting your niche. So both Google and Facebook are the ones that have all the data and allow you to really drill down and target someone. But they're really starting to expand upon that into this whole big bad world of influencers and some of the other mediums like Twitter and Instagram where they're at. And they're all just trying to figure out what's the the right way and the best way to be able to go about that. Right. So I guess step one is to become an influencer. And then step two is to figure out how to actually deliver on being an influencer, (laughs) how to actually influence. Well, if that's But the real influencers probably didn't plan to be one. You know, it's just they get out there and they start doing these things. And uh, because that's a real influencer has got it. It starts to throw away those concepts people have been always saying when they're like, well, it has to sound authentic. Well, what is authentic? Authentic just means real. And if you're dealing with someone who is actually a real person, has a strong following, if you're letting them tell the message and story and they start to realize, wow, there's a business that I could develop here, that by default becomes authentic. Right. But the moment you start looking at it like, wow, I want to be an influencer, and you start doing everything kind of artificially, you start talking to businesses and tell them, you tell me what you want me to say, and I'll say it. Well, that's very inauthentic, and I don't think there's a whole lot of future in that business model. Right. And I think that's pretty transparent to a lot of people. They can figure that out pretty quickly. Exactly. It's kind of like when you're watching TV and you see a commercial, and you know that the person who is in that commercial is an actor and they don't represent the product at all. All they are is an actor. And so sometimes you feel that you can see that coming through online as well. 
Exactly. Everybody's trying to learn and figure out the right balance there. It'll get there. There's a lot of strong brain power going into this. There's a lot of minds that really focused on what's going to work best, and they're watching it to see how people react. So I'm very optimistic. After a few years, we're really going to have this one nailed down. So Matt, what kind of influencers are you working with? With your, I think you said the I Love yeah. Network, I Love Gay yeah, Network. The, yeah, the I Love Gay Network. We try to work with those that, number one, that we find by accident. That's going to be the strangest and funniest way to say it, which is that we didn't start even start out looking for them per se. We just, we always knew who Davey Wavy was and some of the larger, like Tyler Oakley's out there. They're much bigger. They have managers and they work very differently. But the folks we wanted were those that we just sort of found when we're out there tweeting and posting about travel articles and so forth. The next thing you know, you start to find oftentimes they're couples, just like you guys. There's a, the nomadic boys who you work with, mm-hmm. too bad tourists or Robbie Roth, who's he's kind of up and coming here in New York and focused on tourism and the bears. But you find these guys because you just start to find their content and you find that they also engage with you back. And it just sort of becomes a very, very organic relationship that then over a short period of time starts to turn into more in terms of business. And those folks have been the best people for us to just kind of grow our business and work with. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you find that most LGBT influencers are in the travel space? In many respects, travel has led most other industries when it comes to reaching the LGBT marketplace. So even years ago, it would be destinations like Montreal would really push the boundaries and try things that other businesses weren't ready for. So you're seeing the same thing today. Destinations, hotels, and so forth, they've been ahead of the curve when it comes to the LGBT community and trying to reach them for a wide variety of reasons. But mostly they realize that all that disposable income that they've got, they're willing to spend it on travel. So they tested, they pushed it, and somehow also there's this innate love of travel that some people have. So that, I think, has also pushed the growth of travel influencers to just sort of emerge and become a part of that scene. John and I have laughed a number of times we've gone to to get-togethers or an event, and we see somebody we know, but we haven't seen them for a while. And it seems like one of the very first questions (laughs) that we end up asking or talking about is, where have you been recently? (laughs) <laughs> you know, what trips have you taken? Are you doing, taking any trips this summer? That that conversation is very common in the gay space, I, I think, especially. Because like you said, we oftentimes are using our disposable income in ways that derive pleasure. And that's, you know, either going out to eat or we're going on vacations or yeah. we're buying ourselves clothes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very true. Whenever you see foodie bloggers and influencers out there, there's a lot of, quite often there, there's a lot of them that are gay and it yeah. just, <laughs> so travel, food, there's a few niches and they're just, and so it makes it very easy on where I'm at to be able to interact and find them. So if I'm a new blogger or I, I want to get into the influencer space, yeah. and it seems like being a food blogger and being a travel blogger is sort of a saturated market. What other opportunities do you see out there that an LGBT person might want to consider? Yeah, well, the upside is is that nothing's really saturated because uh, you'll see, especially in travel, every time there's somebody new that really starts to come along, it's because they speak to a different audience in a different way. That's the strength of where we're at also today, which is that why focus on, for us on just LGBT because you cannot be all things to all people. And so in travel, there's still lots and lots of room and opportunity. And so, but the opportunity really expands into almost every niche, whether it was food or nightlife or all the different areas that somebody might be interested in, at the end of the day, boils down to number one, is this something that is of strong personal interest and can they leverage that into something more? And I think that's how it becomes so organic, the world of influencers is that they're out there and they're doing these things. And then all of a sudden they start to see that 
people are interested and they're actually starting willing to throw a little money their way in order to be able to get some added exposure. So that, that organic growth into becoming an influencer means that the various niches are going to just sort of happen automatically. Right. I think, I think it's fascinating right now because it's, it's such a great opportunity to monetize whatever it is that you're interested in. If you're interested in something authentically, then no doubt yeah. there's at least 1,000 other people out of the 300 million people in the US or you know 7 billion in the, <laughs> in the globe that yeah. could become your raving fan and help you start a business. It's the passion that's there. But then I'm going to go back to the geeky part, which is that the ones that are succeeding are those that, let's just say, the language that they speak online on Twitter and Instagram is very similar. So with hashtags, with the little at symbol to connect up profiles, tagging photos, all that, very similar. But you're going to find that those that are really succeeding are those that are very active and making sure that they're including in their posts whoever they're talking about. And then because what happens is that who they talked about gets excited about that five minutes of fame, even if it's a small audience, and then they'll retweet that and they'll share that with their audience. And if you don't do those things, then all of a sudden you're just, that goes back to just speaking to people and then there's no engagement. The folks you're talking about don't even know you did it. And so nothing really happens. So the little magic, the spark really lies in the first, the passion and the interest, but then speaking the language, the speaking the language of Twitter and Instagram, where you're including the ad symbol, you use a hashtag so that you can actually get found, but you're using appropriate hashtags. So you're not looking very spammy. It's this whole balance that you're finding. And I think that's just as important. Right. The awesome thing about that is you can literally be learning that language of your niche by sitting on your phone. Oh, yeah. And they'll teach you because all of a sudden you start getting because we were teaching people how to do this. And it's fun to watch the progression because after a short period of time, they start to figure out the hot hashtags that they want to use. And like Twitter's the best one to train on because it forces you into those 140 characters. So you can't. <laughs> You can't be too verbose, but you've got to tell a story and you can. There's a big disconnect between some people that think that Twitter is the worst thing that ever happened to mankind. And then <laughs> others would look at it and really realize that you're able to get a really good, high quality snapshot of what that story is that you want to click on and learn more about. And that difference is important in the understanding of how that's really how and why that, that whole technology is really taking off right now. Right. I'm in line with Gary Vee, where when I see people on their phones when they're not driving. <laughs> yes. I, don't, I don't look down upon it because the only way that David and I could have the business that we have is because we spent a lot of times on our phone, especially when we were both uh, managing W2 jobs. The only opportunity we had was to get away for a half an hour here and there and yeah. manage our business from our phones. Right. It's the same thing as it was in the 90s when it was the browser wars, it's all about <laughs> Netscape versus Internet Explorer. And <laughs> I looked at it and I just told people, I don't really care as long as they're going on the internet and it's working for them. I'm excited to see that Mac and, Internet and Microsoft and everybody is slugging it out to have the dominant browser because that just means that they're going to have a better experience when they come to our website. Exactly. Yeah. That leads me to my next question is, what is cutting edge globally innovative program <laughs> ad buying? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it, it's, sorry, it, was, uh, it made a kind of programmatic ad buying. I'll give you a really good example, especially for your audience, which is just, remember back in the old days, old days meaning like even mid nineties, you know, if you were shopping for, insurance or even better yet the easiest one you open a new business and you open you start a new business and all of a sudden you start getting all this direct mail that's targeted to somebody who's opening a new business well that whole world of data merged with direct mail that's really evolved over the last 20 years into the internet and so if you are actively shopping or you get a quote online from geico of course the easy part you're looking at a pair of shoes on amazon and then you surf somewhere else online all that technology that's able to kind of identify you as an individual, even if it doesn't know you always 
as a person, but it knows you as either this aggregate of data or it knows you from those cookies that what you're shopping for, whatever it is. At the end of the day, you're able to target that, which just means that websites such as Wall Street Journal, New York Times, they all have their banner advertising on this programmatic ad exchange so that agencies, large and small, can go in and say, well, I want to run an ad that's targeting just the New York area, and I want to reach people that have been shopping for insurance for the last 30 days or have a certain household income. And of course, a lot of this data is new, but it's really maturing. It's getting there. So that whole programmatic technology is what enables that so that you start to wonder, like, how do they know so much about me? And it's and it's from all these data sources coming together and merging with the world of not just banner ads, but also video ads and all that good stuff. Right. And that's why I think even starting today is such an opportunity as even more so than maybe it was a couple of years ago, because now you have these tools, these resources at your disposal that we didn't necessarily have before when we started, it was just spraying and praying. Right. And now you can be a little bit more targeted, which can make you more efficient. So you can very possibly get your business started up and running more efficiently. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's why there's no more throwing large amounts of money towards just banner ads or and so forth. There, Everything is really drilling down into that highly efficient, who exactly am I trying to reach? And let's, we always say, let's test out some things to see the best way to reach them. Right. That's, that's the majority of advertising I, we're finding today. Yeah. It's interesting you talk about this because I think that there's there's one contingent of people who are very scared with that whole idea of big data and knowing so much about us. And then I think for me personally, there's an aspect of it that I like. And the reason I like it is because when I'm sitting and I'm watching TV and I see a commercial for an IUD and I think to myself, I am never going to get pregnant. And I <laughs> never need to see an ad of this is what a woman would use to prevent a pregnancy. Yeah. And so when I go online, I know I will never see that. So I'm almost appreciative of the fact that I'm going to be served up things that I might be more inclined to want to see. Oh, yeah. The positive and negative will always be there in our minds because the the positive is if the data is used wisely, if there's good controls over us knowing how it's used, then, then great. But then when people start worrying about you know, Big Brother being able to use that data against us. That's where the fear comes about. And so right now we're also in this huge transition where it's all there and we just don't know exactly where it's all going to be a few years from now. That's why I always have to laugh. Every now and then we'll get a comment from somebody on Facebook saying, why did this ad show up on my wall? I never say it, but I always just want to say because Facebook thinks you're gay. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That is the only reason. (laughs) And it's because Facebook thinks you're gay because you're clicking on gay stuff. (laughs) You do realize that we targeted... People who have homosexuality as one of their interests. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what the, what's interesting? The number one reason that the widest variance or the largest time you start to see a lot of comments where they're like, "How did? why did I see this? And I'm not gay. And they get really weird. Facebook has always allowed you to target the friends of friends right. that are following your page. And that's where it gets risky because then once you start doing that, you're reaching all these friends of the people that are following you and they may or may not be gay <laughs> and they may have very wide, varied levels of you know comfort there. And so they, they're the ones that become vocal. But when you target something on Facebook nowadays, you can actually eliminate all that and go straight to, I would say 99.99% just gay people. Right. Yeah. So let me ask a question. We've talked a little bit about, about your business and your business model. Yeah. And we've talked about people who are trying to come into the space of wanting to work with, or maybe they want to start a business that focuses on the LGBT community. Yeah. You mentioned something about teaching people or coaching or instructing people. Do you offer that kind of service to people? 
I've looked at trying to do that more as a workshop or course, but never really pursued that because I felt it was kind of outside of our business. Yeah. It's amazing to me how, because I'm in this space of wanting to advertise or put my message and my content or our message and content in front of people. And I'm baffled by the number of people who are out there who are teaching people how to do this. But it seems to me like there's, this is another area where there's, there's no one out there really that's teaching people how to target the LGBT community in an effective manner. No, they're the majority of them uh, will say anytime you see someone and they promote themselves as a social media guru or an expert, that's usually when you have to kind of shy away. It goes back to the old rules of how we've always understood people. If you have to announce in such bold language, who you are, you, there's a good chance maybe you're not. And so you're finding that there's a lot of people out there that are just using some basic tools to be able to do these things. At the end of the day, there's really some right ways to do these things. And so that's what we try to show and teach. And, that, and then the tools are available to all of us. And it's just that people don't always know where to look. Right. But that's where Pink Banana Media can help someone out if they need yeah. help getting out into the social media sphere. You can help guide that. Yeah. So we know we've done our work in the past where we did a presentation just recently in Allentown. And I'll get these people come up and say, I have gone to three or four different workshops and different things about social media, and no one has explained exactly the way you just did it. And it was clear. It was honest. This is exactly you know what you should be doing. And I try not to tell people, I shouldn't say exactly you know how to speak or how to do it, but I do try to be very specific about that language and the structure of it, and then let you know let them figure out how they want to how they want to fill in the blanks from there. And so, at what point in someone's growth online or in their business is it optimal for them to try to partner with Pink Banana Media? If they're uh, starting this on their own and they start discovering or seeing what we're up to, that's it may sound very passive and also a little odd, but if they're out there and doing it, they'll probably that's how we get most of our business is that they start bumping into us and our and see what we're doing and then they they realize oh these these folks seem like they're in a position to help. So that's where I would say that any business that's just starting to get themselves out there and do these things is is our perfect potential new client. What's not good is if we just started knocking on doors and trying to talk to people about this stuff because there's such a large We'd have to go through the whole education and explaining of, you know, why do they even want to be there? Why do they want to be online? We don't want to have those conversations. There's too many people that know they want to be there and know they want to be online that we want to talk to them once they want to go to that next step. Right. <laughs> it's like guys who go after straight guys versus guys who goes after gays. Yeah. <laughs> There's a world of gay men out there to Conquer. connect with. Connect with. <laughs> why, why go after the straight ones? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> We've learned. We don't. I don't like to beat my head up against the wall too much. And, and plus, once you start knocking on doors when they're not necessarily interested in it, they love to debate and talk to you about, oh, youth nowadays, they don't pay any attention to, you know, and they start rattling off about these things. I'm like, I don't want to have that conversation. It's <laughs> a waste of my time. <laughs> so, and then I'm assuming that, that Pink Banana Media has a couple of different packages. So someone doesn't necessarily have to, to fork over tens of thousands of dollars to get oh, started. Yeah, we put packages together online that try to make it easy for, for companies to test out and try what we do. We do those things for well under $500. Great. Great. So that's pretty accessible to a lot of businesses yeah. right? if you're Excellent. just starting out. That's nice. Where all can our audience find you if they want to research more about Pink Banana Media or how you can help them? Yeah, I would say probably the easiest, best place. It's always pinkbananamedia.com. We've put a website together that speaks more to the specifics of a lot of what we just talked about today. It's called lgbtbrandvoice.com. It's just a different way of linking into some of our website to see what we do in terms of social media and so forth. So I think what I'm getting out of this is, or the reason that we wanted to have Matt on our show today is because David and I strongly believe that we need more LGBT entrepreneurs and influencers. Because not only does that help the individual, but the more 
that society sees LGBT individuals beyond just our sexual orientation and our gender identity. The more influence we can have over policies, the more influence we can have over what diversity and inclusion looks like in the workspace. And companies like Matt are there to help our community to grow their businesses. Right. So look out for Pink Banana Media and other resources to help grow your company or grow your influence. We appreciate you coming on, Matt. It's it's always yeah. interesting to hear the perspective of somebody who's on the inside and connecting with the LGBT community versus someone who is on the outside trying to connect. And it's nice to hear your perspective. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. It's been wonderful to be here. Thank you again, Matt, for joining us on Queer Money. We really appreciate your keen insight into what's going on in the world of social media and marketing to the LGBT community. We know that connecting with our audience sometimes is not easy. And that's why we wanted to share with you Matt and his story about how he's connected with the LGBT community and how you can possibly become one of those individuals that's able to help reach our community more. We hope that your business continues to thrive and join us every week here on Queer Money. Thanks again, Mass Mutual, for being a sponsor of our show. We know that you've taken steps to prove to us as a community that you are looking out for our interests. Thanks again for all the things you do the pictures on your website of queer couples, and the Vow to Protect campaign. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all all the healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers and everything. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.